then take a swig of beer to calm my active heart rate. Oh, boy. <sighs> well. Okay. Welcome to Heat Wave City. Yeah, how hot is it over there? Pretty hot, I hear. I don't want to even think about it. Um, in an effort to cool down, I was either going to move all the setup into my room, like cool it down and then do it in there. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't really feel like unscrewing an arm for the microphone. Yeah. So I figured it was a better option just to like crank the air conditioner and then uh, jerry rig a uh, fan in the hallway to blow the cold air into here. And it worked. Oh, it's good. very hot. I was going to ask you how it's working, but it seems like it's working. Well, I had to turn the fan off. Oh, so now we're at a now we're at the problem problem point, you know. As you know, but the listeners don't. My air conditioner is right behind my computer monitor, so if I turn it on, it blows it's over. directly into the microphone. So I can't use mine either. And I had a similar thought, which was I was just going to move my Zoom over to my bed and lay in bed and hold the mic because I don't necessarily need the arm. I like the arm. It makes things oh. more convenient, but I can I can utilize a microphone without making a scene of it, unlike some people. I fully cannot. Yeah, I fully cannot do that, as we know. So, um, you know, that was off the table. So I thought about laying in bed with the mic and just leaving the air conditioner on because at that point it would be across the room. But I yeah, too. Yeah, and then halfway through the podcast, I would hear snoring, and I'd be like, "Okay, was I boring you? Yes, you've fallen yes, asleep. Yes, that's true. I also would have had to do it basically without looking at you because I wasn't going to bring my computer over there. I was going to leave my computer across the room. Oh, how fun for me. Yeah, and you would just have to, to look stare at, at an open closet and a couple Which, of very bad paintings. As, as, as the listener knows, staring at an open closet is one of the most infuriating things because it is, that's the only Marie Kondo moment that I have where I'm like, that's chaos. That I, I need to not see the chaos. The chaos is killing me. <laughs> Well, it'll displease you to know that I did several job interviews with this exact setup in the closet wide, wide open without doing anything about it. And you got them. Wow. Yeah, I just wow. rocked that's, my best that's... life. I was just honest, and, you know, that's what happens. So, oh, Wow. The standards are slipping at these these corporations here on this day. Yeah, they must be desperate. <clears throat> <laughs> Oh. Do you want to tell? Do you want to tell the listeners wh- what happened, or is that after show? No, nah, we should do it on the after show f- for reasons. Oh, okay. Um, what I will say is that I have a cold sore. I am full of poke to the brim right now, and I have World War II on the brain. So, uh, okay. So, the first thing is. Let's just say it. It's disgusting. So we're just going to get that out of the way. You with your open bleeding lip is absolutely gross. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you live that way. You should be ashamed of yourself. Next thing, they got poke in Ohio? Oh, yes, they do. It's actually pretty good. It's a regional really? establishment called Poke Fresh. And I just had a double spicy salmon bowl. And it was a little too much raw fish. I'm going to actually cop to that and say I shouldn't have gotten double salmon. It was unnecessary. I mean, I had eye sushi the other day and uh, dosed myself inappropriately. Yeah, you get you know? your, did your daily dosage of mercury. Yeah, I, I did a little too much. I, I went, oh, this is great. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to let these go to waste, so I got to pack them in. But there's no room at the inn, so we're going to make some. Just shot it back, you know. 
Because after, you know, we'll get to what was before that. You know, you, you need to, like, have a fresh moment, you know? Um, and then the third thing, what was the third thing? I have World War II on the brain. Why is that? That I don't know. Uh, because a new episode of Dan Carlin's Hardcore History came out today, and as you know, that's like a once or twice a year event, so it's kind of a big deal for me, and I spent all day... A 36-hour television event? Yes. yes. I spent all day so far uh, immersed in the Asia-Pacific theater of World War II. Huh. It's the final installment of a series that's been going on for three years, so I'm very excited about it, and... uh you know, I've been listening to the horrors of war for six hours. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's an up mood moment. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know anything about the Battle of Okinawa or Iwo Jima or Leyte Gulf. Wait, so you were listening about Pacific Theater warfare and then we're like, you know what sounds great? A bastardization <laughs> of sushi. Oh yeah, well, why don't we do that? You know what? Hmm. I, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> Those Hawaiians really, really got it together when they won, you know. So I'm gonna honor their legacy and get a poke bowl. Yes, I, I, I raised my hand to my heart and I saluted the flag for all of our brothers and sisters at Pearl Harbor that gave their lives, and I had an honorary oh, supper for them. Uh, what's her name? Uh, who was in Pearl Harbor? Uh, Liz, what's her name? Oh, was that Jen? No, I was gonna say Jennifer Love Hewitt, but it wasn't. It was no. Uh, Liz, uh, Liv Tyler. Tyler. Liv, T- Liv Tyler, yeah. Yes. And uh, Ben Affleck? Yes. Our fallen heroes. Because, you know, Ben Affleck went, went back to Jennifer Lopez. They're living their best life. Wait, currently? It's liter- yes, it's literally 2003 again right now. Wow. History doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes? No, it just repeats itself <laughs> yeah, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't understand. But the world is just like, you know what? Let's do it again. I'm like, okay, fuck my life. Okay. Wow, you know. This is where we're at. Good for Ben Affleck, though. He seems like a sad, sad man. Everything you see of him on the internet is just him spilling food or smoking cigarettes or getting fat and getting drunk. I mean, he he seems like he needs a win, you know? I don't know. See, sounds like he's got, got it together. He can smoke a cig and hold a a quad of Dunkin' Beverages in his hand. I'm like, that's kind of some... That's some king shit right there, you know? Mm-hmm. So Ben Affleck for you, a zero or one on the binary. What? I'm stealing from Red Scare. A zero means you wouldn't fuck him. A one means you would. He looks like he doesn't wash his ass, so I'm going to have to pass on that one. Oh, you know? okay. All right. He's got a back tattoo, too. We don't... Back tattoos are always bad signs. Ben Affleck has a bat, a bat tattoo. It's huge. How do you not know about this? Look it up right now. You Do the thing that I normally don't advocate, but look up the fucking back tattoo. All right, I'm gonna look it's it up. gigantic. Let's see. Okay. Going to Google now. Ben Affleck. Affleck. Back. This is shameful. I mean, to not know about this in pop culture is like, I mean, everyone knows. I don't know. Oh my God. Yeah, bitch. It's huge. So what am I looking at? I'm looking at Ben Affleck's back tattoo and it is, I believe that's supposed to be a phoenix. Yes, correct. Rising from the ashes. So it's sort of Uh Asian inspired. It it has dragon-esque features but sort of mixed with a peacock, and it is entirely rainbow-colored. The flames are literally coming out of Ben Affleck's ass, and the uh, wings See, I told you he doesn't wash. It's of a little, the bird little, little, span little, his little entire back. There. Wow. Mm-hmm. And there's like a solar eclipse behind it on one shoulder, uh-huh. and then a horrible yeah. flower tattoo with a banner on the other shoulder. Yeah. 
Wow, I uh-huh. did not know this. That's really, really awful. Uh-huh. So you can feel a bit better about your life choices on your arm. At least it's oh, not giant and on your back. God, yeah. I mean, you know, what always baffles me about uh, Hollywood celebrities and their tattoos is they have to get those things fully covered in makeup if they ever do scenes where they're visible, you know? He, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like Scarlett oh, Johansson yeah. is absolutely covered in tattoos. Really? Yeah, she doesn't have, like, sleeves or anything, but she's one of these people with, like, a bunch of small tattoos all over the place. Oh. One of those, I went on a trip to Bali, so I had to commemorate the experience. It sort of seems like it, yeah. Okay. I saw someone who had, like, a full, like, stripe going from, like, toe to heel. And I was like, huh. Toe to heel? Like, it goes down up the front and then continues down the back. Oh, you're saying over the length of their whole body. I thought like you meant full just stripe. along That's the bottom I mean, yeah. of their foot. I didn't know if you were at the beach or something and someone had a bottom of the foot tattoo. No. I mean, there are people who do that. They're fucking psychopaths. That's got to hurt like a bitch, but Jesus. Um, and it was no, just I did a go line. To the beach. What do you think the meaning of that is? I don't know. People like lines. Mm, okay. Just purely mm, a, a decorative line tattoo. Truly. I think it comes out of something, some history. Like, uh, somewhere? I don't know. I don't want to be insensitive and, you know, point to the wrong area on the map when it's someone else's thing. And I'm like, I don't know. It also just seems like, I wanted to stripe. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I'm not a tattooologist. I don't know the history of these things. No, I, I, I don't know. I did, in fact, go to the beach, though, um, on Sunday. And, oh, boy, I... Oof, Choices have been made. People are making choices. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, do you care to explain rather than make befuddled sounds? Because I wasn't yeah, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting I there. I, I have to ramp about. myself <laughs> up into it. Yeah, I, I have to like really just I gotta you know stretch out stretch out the back and the. I need everybody to get their like hot girl guy them summer together. Before they step out into public, hot girl guy because them the summer, <laughs> hot mess summer. Let's just say hot mess summer because this is like, so like everyone's like, yeah, now that I'm vaxxed and waxed and I'm ready to, you know, I'm like, oh, oh, keep it, keep it. No, 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 no. Like the amount of underboob it was disgusting. I'm like, ladies, no, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. What do you mean underboob? They weren't showing full boob, but the the, the bathing suit was uh... the triangles were so small. Oh, okay. It was just literally just like pasties with strings, and I was like, oh no, no one, no, just go, just don't even wear it. Like you're, who cares at this point? What are we doing here? What do we? What is this? Um, but like, and I'm you know, all for wear whatever you want to the beach, sure, but like. When it looks like you're a piece of fatty tuna that got caught in a fishing net at an inopportune moment, it's not good for anybody involved. Are you A, you're gonna have fucked up tan lines. B oh, oof, oof. it's visually disruptive to the natural landscape. Are you fat shaming these people or are you just saying that they're a little bit. You are, okay. So people are looking a little pandemic chubby and Well, it's like I'm also pandemic chubby. However, I make sure that I don't wear the swimsuit that does not fit. I, you know, sized up. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Some people are not doing that. Yeah, that must be the new hot fashion. I, d- I don't know what's up in ladies' swimwear these days, but it's all strings now, huh? Strings. 
Interesting. It's like you got caught in a spider web, and we're like, that's a swimsuit. I'm like, oh. Honestly, this no. sounds pretty good to me. I really don't feel like I can object to it, but I'll, I'll reserve my judgment until I get a glimpse. It, it, it boggles the mind. It boggles the mind. And then every dude is like stepped out of a 1996 like Stussy catalog where the, like the board shorts go down to the knees. I'm like, what is happening? What is going on? I do have to say I have noticed that I went to a Memorial Day. I mean, granted, I'm in Ohio, so I don't know. You know, I can't really judge uh, what is forward fashionably from the middle of the country, as we all know sort of we're a couple years behind here but i did notice that all the men had longer length shorts than i was used to seeing so i gotta get a new bathing suit i guess is what i'm getting at no no i i think there's the approach like you know if you have like i think like the appropriate length is for like a like a baggier thing is a three inch inseam uh swim short it allows for it's there, it's twofold. You get the tan, and it goes most of the way. So if you do wear a short in the summer, you get the full leg amount. Right. You don't have weird tan lines. One, two, it allows you mobility in in the water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want a baggy thing, and then you're like, ooh, get caught in a wave, and you're like, ooh, blah, blah. and then you die because your board shorts got caught between your knees. You know. <laughs> I I don't think that's a common occurrence, but sure, fine. It could happen. You never know. The women are getting caught in fishnets, and the men are getting caught in board shorts, and we're having lots of drowning incidents at Fort Tilden. Yes, let's just (laughs) let's let's hope for that. Yeah, it'll take away some of the throngs of people away. But that was my fault for going on a Sunday. It also cost twenty dollars to park there now. Ah, they've caught on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. I mean, last year was free, so like, I guess I see. I see what's going on. But then you can just buy it. A seasonal like a summer pass for a hundred i'm like yeah so if you go five times it pays what yeah of course duh oh that's absolutely Here. worth it yeah take my money i don't fucking care like mm-mm. in all um, honesty it probably should have been that way all along it always was i just was always like oh a lot of money all at once oh no now i'm like a hundred dollars sure sounds great whatever this is oh i didn't believe mean- me I didn't mean that the seasonal pass should have been what you did all along. I just mean I think the beach should have been more expensive to park at many years ago. They probably sh- they probably should have upped it to 20 a while back. No. No. I don't know. Just to incentivize people to buy the pass and also to disincentivize people from driving. Because it does get really crowded down there, you know? Hmm. Yeah, but like... Eh. Anyone driving there does not care about the $20. The fee is not really a a concern, you know? If you have a car in the city. I guess not. It depends how big of a group and stuff you're going with. I feel like I would be hesitant to pay the $20 on my own. That's suddenly, you know, $20 is a psychological barrier price-wise. That's suddenly... For you? Uh, yeah, that's suddenly a lot. I think of $20 for, as... For the, a fee or service? Yeah, as the line where I really start to consider it. Like, for example, I opted to get poke tonight because it was $14, whereas I really wanted sushi, but it would have been over $20. And I said, you know, I just got sushi a week ago. I should probably relax. I'll just get the $14 poke because it's similar, but it doesn't cross the $20 threshold. So if I'm going to the beach by myself, I'm suddenly thinking twice if I have to pay $20. But at $10, I'm doing it every time, you know? I guess for like a fast casual food moment, yeah, jumping to 20, you're like, I don't know, you know? 
that's a lot for a solo meal that's not of particularly good quality, you know? It's not like I'm going yes, to a sit-down I mean. restaurant. It's like when I spend $17 at Chipotle, and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? Yeah, how do you even how, accomplish how? that there? You get chips. Oh, okay. That's all it takes. I'm never not going to get chips. The, hello. Um, huh. Yeah, the $10, I mean, it was 5 10 years ago to go park at Beachland, so consider that you know 10 years and then it's a lot of increase in a short amount of time yeah i suppose so i don't know i don't know you don't experience this at all with the 20 dollar barrier i feel like this is this is more than just food to me like any item if i have to throw I down mean, an andrew jackson famously 70 is always my questionable moment 70 but for like everyday purchase for like a normal everyday purchase, I'm, uh, you know, the close, it is a kind of $20 thing. If you're like, how much am I paying for lunch? Why? That's a half hour of work. Huh. Or something like that. Or, you know, 45 minutes of work. Why, why am I? What? No, no. Um, you know, that's when you start to go, mm, maybe it's not worth it. But sometimes you're like, oh, only $20. Great. Love that. Like, yeah, it does depend. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what an only, mm, Cause like, ah, mm, ah, I feel like I've had the thing of like going to like, okay. So faux grand, right? Yeah. Faux grand, right? Go in there. I know I have to spend X amount of dollars, but like you leave, you're, you're out about 14 bucks, right? Generally. Sure. If you eat a lot of things like some people. Um, so I left there. I, I ate indoors. It was my first indoor dining moment. I was like, here, take my money. Um, but yeah, it was like 20 bucks and I was like, this is worth it. This is 100% worth it. This is a steal. Um, but I don't feel, you know, that's the only time when I'm like, ooh, I'm getting away with something. Well, as we already kind of mentioned, I think part and parcel of that $20 is the experience of sitting down and actually doing it. I'm much more inclined to spend $20 for an experience than for a single item. Yeah. For instance, today I was holding a pint of Van Leeuwen in my hands and it was $8 and I said... I do want it, but I $8 for a pint of ice cream that I'm going to crush in two sittings. One sitting, one let's be half, honest. One and a half. It was dairy-free, so I was like, maybe I could crush the whole thing and not hate myself the next day. <laughs> okay. Who knows? Um, you know, because that's like the red warning bell of evacuation. We got to, can't do it anymore. I have to go non-dairy. Um, but then I, I saw like refreshing little ice pops, like fruit ice pops, and I said, you know what? A, it's healthier. Sure. B, it's four bucks. Give me those. Give me those. Give me those. Give me those. There's four of... Okay, great. This is perfect. I know I'm going to have four doses of a treat, and it's less. Okay, yeah. I don't know. I didn't have a point there. Um, <laughs> okay, I was just... But I, that's you, my logic. You were that's just reminiscing <laughs> super lovingly about a choice of sugar <laughs> that you made. I couldn't interrupt you for it. <laughs> It, but those are like the like I do it not with twenty dollar things, but with five dollar things. I'm like, is this worth upwards of ten or low? You know, like that's my kind of like playground. Yeah, when you it know, comes to food stuff. You know, I over the last couple of years, I've started to accept that nothing costs less than ten dollars. I think that's why my threshold may have moved up and goes in uh, units of ten now. Ten versus twenty, oh, rather yeah. than five versus ten, or something like that. Nothing costs five dollars anymore. You're not getting out of anywhere spending less than ten dollars, really. 
And if it's less than $10, it's 8 or $9, which is practically $10. That's just 10 What are you talking about? Yeah. I just Do you do the thing where you just round up everything after that five marker? You're like, oh, I'm spending $30. Yes, this is... A, when it's really like 26 This is the mark of two financially extremely irresponsible people that do not budget or do real accounting. Therefore, no. do mental accounting where you round everything up or down just according to your whim of the day. Yes. Yeah. If I'm feeling this. spendy, I'm just like whatever, and then other times I'm like, oh, how many cents was that? How what we what was the tax? What was the tax moment? Um. Yeah. I, I never said I was good with money. I don't. I don't. You know, profess that as a thing. Yeah. No. Um, I'm, I'm I did get my. Go ahead. Did you get your unemployment, um, overpaying moment back? What? No. What are you talking about? Or did you do your taxes late? I did my taxes on time. Oh, okay. But so maybe you didn't have to do this. But um, if you paid early, they passed when they did a stimmy, stimmy the stimmy the third. Um, they wrote in that uh, your first ten thousand dollars of fund employment was uh, tax free federally. Ah, uh, right. So if you paid on it, they gave it back to you, and I was like, "Ooh, money!" So. Oh, that's great. You got that back. Yeah, no, I did my taxes after that was passed, so it was just counted right in there. Oh, yeah. See, that's nice. Instead of having government hold money for three months. Yeah, no, that is nice. I mean, oh, God, I, I don't know. It's boring to talk about, but my taxes this year were quite a nightmare. I owed New York State thousands of dollars. It was terrible. The uh, Biden, you know, stimmy number three thing uh, with the ten grand being written off was great. I owed the federal government almost nothing, but I still owed New York State quite a bit. What happened? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to remember it right now because I think I wanted to black it out, but part of it was just that the unemployment came through New York State, so obviously if you don't have the taxes taken out, you're going to owe them. Um, so I owed them for almost $30,000 of unemployment. And then... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, because you... Yeah, I forgot all every like dude in, in in my life was unemployed for longer than any of the ladies that I knew. Oh now. yeah. I rode that ride Far, for as for long months. as humanly possible. It was a long, long time. So I owed them a lot of money in the first place. And also, if memory serves, I could be mixed up about this. New York State kind of dings you for moving out of the state. Like I don't remember exactly what? how that worked, but I was I was like extra taxed on certain things for no longer being for being a former resident not on unemployment but on other normal things it was very strange i owed a bigger new york state tax bill than any other thing that i filed for huh yeah hmm yeah they get you they're gonna get you somehow they're gonna get me you know yeah that's what the, that's what they do that's that's why they're like oh no you don't don't move to jersey move upstate right don't move to connecticut move to westchester you know it's all it's all that kind of excuse me freaky mental math where and then they're just like do you want a home in Syracuse it's $25,000 that's all and you're like but what's the catch oh it's in Syracuse and you're like oh right i don't want to go there no no it's very cold um which <sighs> cold and far like that should be its own state right uh upstate new york like the far north yeah, I feel like they should just tack that onto that little piece of Pennsylvania that uh, touches the lake there. Oh, yeah. 
The little like chimney? Yeah, the little chimney. They should just tack uh, Buffalo and Syracuse just right onto that, and we'll just call it Pennsylvania. Maybe the eastern Basically. portion of that that I'm not familiar with just gets tacked onto Vermont, and everybody's happy, you know? I don't think Vermont people would be happy about that. Or we could give it to Canada. That's what happens in Infinite Jest. That area of upstate New York, parts of Vermont and New Hampshire, is given to Canada and turned into a large garbage dump called the Great Concavity. Well, that's a terrible name, but great idea. Yeah. I'm not mad at that idea. All of New Um, England and all of Quebec just launches their trash into the Great Concavity, and we don't have to deal with it anymore. I mean, I'm sure there are people who live there who think it's nice. Um, well, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm sure it is nice. In fact, I know that it's nice. I mean, there's a big, uh, you know, the Allegheny National Forest is up there. Uh, Vermont is obviously beautiful. It's not that dissimilar down in New York. I'm sure it's great, but the the cities suck. Syracuse is just a college town, and Buffalo is a shit stain. And also a college town. Is it? I don't even know. It has to have a school there. Right. I'm sure there is one. But, That's what know. the forests of the Northeast are for. You throw colleges, you scatter the colleges around so you can send the children away mm-hmm. when they turn 18. You just go, go play in the woods. I'm not dealing with you. Yeah. You can't be around the public from the age of 18 to 24 uh, in general. So you're going to go over there. Okay. Yeah. You're either going to go to Buffalo or if you're some fail son elite Hunter Biden style, you go to Dartmouth. Yeah. I actually don't know if that's true. I know nothing about Dartmouth. That's the most mysterious Ivy League school in my mind. I feel like nobody of note ever comes out of there. I'm not sure what happens there. I don't know why they're famous. Like, I don't know what they specialize in. People who end up being doctors, lawyers, and uh, journalists usually pop out of Dartmouth. Oh, boy. That's like the the worst three career paths. As far as elite overproduction goes, I don't want to. I don't want to go to a school that pops out journalists. That's not a great. That's not a mark of greatness to me. So what? You're gonna go. You're gonna go write for the New York Times an article about how gay couples argue better than straight couples. Wait, was this real? Yeah, I just I just was reading it before we started here. <laughs> Please enlighten me. I I. I... Uh, it was a it was a soft profile of two lesbians that apparently never argue by yelling. They just resolve their differences peacefully on long walks. And That's how the there most was a... lesbian sounding shit I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> yeah. And how there was a study done in 2003 that sort of corroborated this anecdotal evidence. What? Yeah, I... who studies this? Who who is like you know what I want my grant money to be? How peop how lesbians argue. <laughs> like they argue by talking passive aggressively to the cat that they have and they're like hi fuzzy isn't uh sharon being a huge cunt today and then you know sharon's like well tell tell helen that she needs to fucking wash the dishes when she fucking slams all of her shit when she cooks these big meals for no one and then they just argue through the cat yes there's actually uh, in my in, in my imagination the, see my fictional wife helen turned a lesbian yes you are hilariously close to the truth because there's a scene in this article where they argue passive aggressively over a hat. And it's not about the hat. A hat? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't remember all the details, but yes. I hate everything. I like the unfortunate part of the world is that most people can unfortunately be broken down into stereotypes. Like my wild turn of fancy then just becomes an actual thing. That's terrible. We're all the worst. Everyone is the worst. Oh, 
Well, you know, I tend to think that most people, you know, images of people break down into stereotypes, but most people are pretty idiosyncratic at the end of the day. And that's what gets lost when the media echoes back to us that everything is equatable to stereotypes and that, you know, gay couples are uh, more civil than straight people or whatever. It's this entirely constructed thing that has only to do with our uh, mental images of each other and nothing to do with reality, right? Yeah, and then how do you how do you get the stereotype? You get a, you know, a long-form piece in the Times, you know, like, and then it just is like, oh, did you, you know, and then NPR broadcasts it, and then it's like, you know, someone brings it up at, a, you know, a lovely luncheon or something, like, oh, did you hear? And you're like, ugh. Well, it's suddenly turned into a thing you're supposed to aspire to. You, you, no matter your orientation, are supposed to aspire to the stereotype of a lesbian couple. Which we yes. we cannot construct a society around that. I'm sorry. No, I mean I. That's the weirdest. Fuck. It's also pretty I offensive also, at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, I. It is very. Offensive. <laughs> yeah. Um. Because imagine like, th- like a a lesbian couple who hates each other who read it and just look at each other and be like, no, no, absolutely the fuck not. Like, I, mm, I, mm, mm. I also like. Do people really argue in long-term relationships that aggressively? Yeah, I think so, but it just depends on the it just depends on the type of people or the people themselves like individually. It has nothing to hmm. do with you know it has nothing to do with anything identity based, but yeah, sure, people argue in long-term relationships like small things you, you know, you've never lived with a significant other for example. Thank God. Small domestic things really do get on each other's nerves over time. And you have to learn which battles to pick and which not to pick, you know? Hmm. And very tiny things can blow up into much larger spats that aren't about the tiny thing. Oh, because feelings? A lot of things become the passive-aggressive talking to the cat. Oh. So, like, the you didn't put the... um the paper towel on the roll the holder correctly yes you know like and people are like you don't care about me because you didn't pay attention to that and you're like whoa hold the fucking phone on where did this come from yeah precisely and i mean huh. for some people that manifests as arguing in the form of yelling and for some people that manifests in the form of the silent treatment and everywhere in between you know hmm. can't you just be vindictive and get people back and go tit for tat or is that not healthy well, people do that too, but uh, you know, you could argue that that is a form of argumentation, just oh. through a war of attrition. <laughs> yeah, know, that sounds more small, fun. Of small moves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. I'm like, that sounds fun. That sounds keeps it spicy. Um, oof. Yeah, I don't know. I really. Mm, mm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a good model for anyone like. Anytime I've seen like couple friends argue, I'm always like, "I'm gonna go get a drink then. I'll be right back. Bye bye." Like, "Hi, are we good now, or is this domestic over? What are we doing?" You know, like. Yeah, yeah. Whenever it takes place in public, it's deeply uncomfortable. I really don't like being present for things like that. I don't find it fascinating at all. Uh, I don't know. It. I pretend it's not happening, and I dissociate. I'm like, nope. Yeah, exactly. This This isn't happening. No. (laughs) <laughs> whatever is going on over there don't even know what I'm, i can't even hear it don't even know 
No, it triggers something deep in me where suddenly I feel like I'm involved in it. Even though the the couple arguing doesn't even see you in moments like oh, that. Oh, yeah, no. It's literally that feeling of mommy and daddy are fighting. Yes. Even is. though they're not your parents, you're just like, oh, okay. I'll just sit here awkwardly and watch. But then you just learn, no, we're just going to not watch. How lovely. Um, yeah. Oh, boy. Excuse me. Um, what else is happening out, out, out in the wilds? Oh, you know, this is huge, actually. I forgot. It's, it's a callback to nearly two years ago at this point, but we talked about it a little bit in our retrospective episode 100. Guess mm-hmm. who's back? In the house? Heels click clacking. No, I don't know. The guy who asked me for money and then paid oh. me back. He's yeah. back. He's back again. Asking for more money? I got a random Venmo request two days ago. Just a request. The last time I got a DM on Instagram first, and then we traded Venmos and this whole process went down. But this time, I just got a Venmo that said, you know, buh, 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 request $20. And the only message it said was emergency. You did not pay this. Now, I did pay this. Why? But here's Why? the thing. On Venmo, when you accept a request that somebody sends you and you send them the money, you don't get to comment back. Which I actually found really odd. I didn't know that. I'd never paid attention to it before. But when you fulfill a request, you're not able to leave them a message. So I sent him a request for $20 after completing his request that said, please pay Mm -hmm. me back when you're able. I'm trusting you. And I haven't heard anything since. And that was 48 hours ago. So I will update everyone and hopefully I'm not getting scammed Why this time. Why would you give someone... If $20 is your threshold for meal moments, a random request for 20 bucks works on you. I do not understand. Well, you have to understand that it's gotten complicated because now I have something of a rapport with this character. I mean, granted, it's years old. I checked my receipts, and the last time this happened was August of 2019. So it's almost fully two years ago now. But... He did pay me back the last time and was very appreciative and very straightforward about the whole thing. And so I felt like, okay, I have evidence that you're not scamming me. But that's how they get you. Perhaps. But why would you play such a long con of two more years for $20? This would have been a really different story if I'd received that same request a month after he did it the first time. But the fact well, that it's because everyone cheap. else who who did the fulfilling of the second time didn't get paid back, and then when he went back to ask for it again, they just blocked. You were in the unblocked moment. You know what? I fear that you might be right. Yes, that he once again because this was the whole conversation last time is that I barely know this guy. Just to refresh everybody's memory, it's a guy I've met three or four times. Who, you know, this was fifteen years ago at this point. I'm not friends with him, really. We don't even really follow each other on social media. I think he found me on Instagram randomly last time. So he's a very, very distant acquaintance. And the first time this happened, yes, you're correct that I think he burned through all of his friends and finally got desperate enough to ask a near stranger. And the same thing Mm -hmm. you're saying is happening again. The cycle has refreshed itself, where he's once again burned through all of his primary contacts 
and he's on to the scrapping and scraping the bottom of the barrel. Now. Yeah. Which, you know, which I could assume. But I'm very fascinated to see will will all go well or not. And $20, I can lose it. Out of Venmo, I can lose it to answer your question about the $20 oh, threshold. Oh, because you're a Venmo hoarder, aren't you? Yes, because normally my Venmo account mm. I don't pay attention to, and it just kind of sits in there and gets traded back and forth. It's basically like cryptocurrency. It's fake money to me, you know? Huh. So losing $20 okay. out of the Venmo, it's $20 I basically didn't have already, the way I figure it. Oh, it's 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 basically your your change jar. Yeah, it's a change jar. And the other and most important component of this is that it's also sort of a spiritual experiment. The last time I felt like I got good vibes from the guy and it turned out that I was right and that he paid me back. And the timing of this with everything going on in my life right now and how hectic it's been and how much change I'm about to go through again, I felt like I want to experiment with this again. I feel like I need to pass the positivity into the world one more time for my own sake, not for his. Are you the secreting good intention out into the world right now? Is this what this is what you're describing? Yes, I was throwing a good intention out into the world because the situation came to me. I didn't have to put any effort into it. It was as simple as a click and I could say, "Okay, this is an effort at cultivating positivity in an otherwise chaotic situation. What kind of freak-ass self-help book are you reading that this is this is the moment for you? What? 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 I'm not reading any self-help book. I'm just this going... This is big. very Brene Brown, and it's freaking me out. I don't know if I like it. Speaking of history simply repeating itself and not rhyming, that's what's oh, happening that... again. So much like yeah. Ben Affleck and J-Lo, here I am doing exactly the same thing I did two years ago at a critical juncture once again. So we'll see. And hopefully, you know... The hamster wheel of time is really showing its um, spokes. I don't I don't know what hamster wheels actually look like. Uh, but yeah, that's... Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would do it without a message. That seems odd. Well, that's why I sent the subsequent request. Because I felt uncomfortable doing it without the message either. I wanted to make it very clear. That's why I said, please pay me back when you're able. I'm trusting you. Because this was, this was similar to the arrangement I had with him the first time where I went back and forth a little bit and said, how do I know Like you're not going to just rip me off here? And it basically just boiled down to, well, you have to trust me, and so that's what I'm doing again. But hmm. we'll see. I thought that sending him that little message separately would incentivize him to at least feel somewhat guilty about it if he was attempting to I was going to say, you did a guilt moment. You did a guilt, uh, you know, plus two guilt on the on the back end of that one, so... That could be a motivator. Some, you know, it just depends on, depends on what it's for. But I don't know. Requesting money on a, what day is today? Wednesday? On a Monday? Hmm. Kind of weird. Everything about it's weird. I mean, I mentioned this the first go around. What kind of emergency could possibly facilitate needing $20? That's not a make or break amount of money usually, you know? Yeah, but you, $20 seven, eight times, that's 200 bucks. Right, right. But you have to have a pretty high hit ratio to make that work. And if we're operating on the assumption that he's already gone Done the through the bridging, yeah. yeah, gone hmm. through every bridge, you're not getting seven or eight of those requests fulfilled. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. I don't know. 
you know, it's at, very strange. And at the same time, twenty dollars, I guess, could be a make or break amount of money if you have an empty bank account and you just need gas to get to work. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. That twenty dollars matters a lot. I guess. All right. I mean, that's not going to get you very far. It's going to get you uh, half a tank. Gas is expensive now. It's getting expensive, but yeah, sure. If it gets you half a tank, you can get to work for the rest of the week if you don't go anywhere else, you know, in most situations. Mm. All right. All right. So who knows? I shall, ex- I shall accept this uh, good good intention, goodwill, um, yeah. you know. Well, that's what's also as positive. As always, I'm always like. Yeah. Well, that's what's also positive about it is that I don't know what emergency means. I didn't know the first time. I don't know the second time. I can't do this based on any kind of moral. And you don't want to like means test the of morality. Of course not. Of no, the... no. Yeah. Like one time I was with my dad in the car and we pulled off a highway exit and there was a guy with a sign asking for money, a young kid as a matter of fact, probably 19 or 20 years old. And my dad rolled down the window and gave him like 10 or 20 bucks. But he gave him a little lecture that said, you're not going to spend this on drugs, right? You're not going to spend this on booze, right? And the kid was, like, very nice and was like, oh, no, like, I'm just down and out. I, I promise I won't. I just need. And when my dad rolled up the window, I asked him, I was like, Dad, why? what difference does it make? If you're going to give the guy the money, why do you need to deliver him a lecture so that you feel, like, better about it or higher than him in some way? Because that lecture has nothing to do with losing the money. It has everything to do with how you feel about giving it. And I don't want to feel that way. Yeah. Like when, I, when I'm trying to pass along the positivity or just pass along the $20 for an emergency, at the end of the day, I have to forget about it. I have to forget what it's about. It doesn't matter what it's for. Hmm. And I like doing it this way because I can literally never know. It's like extra easy to be altruistic, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, because the button, the button mashing? Where you're like, oh, whoop. There's no like, you know cash handling moment of like holding onto the bill like now don't now don't misspend it and you're like ah like i don't know yeah i mm, i don't know it still baffle it ever the first time it baffles me it baffles me even more that it happens a second time yeah but, yeah well, and I don't know, like I alluded to before, it feels particularly meaningful that it comes at, at a junction where, like, I feel unstable or I feel like I need help or whatever that y- you get asked for it. it. You know, sometimes it's hard to believe in coincidences. Like, why now, you know? You're having, like, a beautiful mind moment, like, you know, or not butterfly effect moment, rather. Yeah. Like well, yeah. One just, you know, it just, the dominoes start flying in different directions. Well, frankly, hopefully, you know. Mm. I don't know. I would, I, again, I would probably say, what? No. But I think also, uh, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I am slightly speechless that it, it happened a second time. And also with the, the you know, the, the very woo of the, the money, like the, the timing thing. That's a very that's very strange coming from you. I I guess so. Other than I th- that it worked the first time, oh. you know, like in, in a certain sense, it would be extra disappointing if I didn't get paid back this time. And that would be like I'm very curious to see where this is going to go because why would I feel disappointed? You know, the whole purpose is to just pass it along and not feel anything about it, really. Yeah. 
Well, then the true just thing would be just not sending the no. That's true. Yeah. But then you, I, I, I think doing the request of pay it back whenever probably is fine. But the trusting you is like the indictment of like, hey. Oh, hey, I suppose you're right. Don't I, spend it on drugs and booze. You know, like it's not that far, you know. That's not the way that I meant it. But I do suppose that that serves the same function of moralizing a little bit on top of him. Um, cause I didn't mean it in terms of like what he spent it on trusting you. I just meant it in terms of paying, you back. know, we have yeah. a rapport here. Don't fuck that up. Yeah. I mean, but that's a similar sort of ultimatum. I might as well have told him not to spend it on drugs and booze. You know, I just felt like fulfilling the request yeah. unacknowledged, um, is a clean getaway. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't keep the conversation going hmm. with him. Right. Yeah. Which is actually what I'm kind of interested in at the end of the day is like why this reconnection, why me, why him, why this situation? It's just strange and unusual. And I, and I like that it's an aspect of my life. I like that two years later it happened again. I hope that it happens again in another two years or five years or something. You know, you want someone to ask you for 20 bucks every two years that you then get back. Well, yeah. I mean, it keep on some level it keeps at front of mind that like people have a worse situation than you potentially, or that people are more desperate, or whatever it is, and that you're capable of helping, and that it's not so hard. And not only that, it's not about just feeling good. It is about this exercise periodically of saying maybe I can improve my own life through abstract gesture. Not oh, like just this through... is your own like trolley problem. Uh, of how are you going to pull the switch this time? I'm not sure it's a trolley problem, but it's it's less than self centered. I'll just put it that way. Rather than constantly focusing on like my own material improvement, I can just do something very simple that improves the universe generally. Hmm. Yeah, in the form of just spreading wealth out to who knows where and helping one individual. You know. I mean, yeah. I, um, the logic is all sound. It's it's you know it it is an interesting uh, continuous experiment for you know like a small scale like how does this how does this dynamic work? That's that's a kind of interesting little like it's your own little like petri dish of morality questions. Yeah, that I didn't elect to be in. Yes. Yeah. But, like, you are what, like, math problem. You are now the people who, like, are the people in math problems. Like, so-and-so asked Camper to lend them $20 with compound interest being at two point blah, blah, blah. How much would it be if you paid him back in six years? You know, like, you're you're now that person. Yeah, I guess so. I'm an SAT question. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's exactly it, but. That's just an observation. That's not really a question. It's just that that's that's kind of that. Um, yeah. All right. That's hmm. That's very interesting. I don't know. Um, I did go see the Alex. I'm gonna pivot because I have no more questions on that subject. I did go see the Alex Hay show. Oh yeah. I saw lovely. you posting stories about it. Yes, of course, because that's that's how that's how we document that we do things in the world um, that we're not just sitting on couch, which I would have rather have done um, because it 
did monsoon that day. Um, but things from the late sixties and the seventies and the eight, I'm like, Oh, huh. We had jokey, stupid things all the way back then. Huh? Great. Like there was this like toaster painting of like a toaster, like shiny metal. It had a little knob stuck on it. And then the, the toast itself was a shaped piece of linen popping out of the square painting of the thing. And then the cord was this like tape that like hung down and then there was a painting of coiled tape and then it like went into a plug the wildest shit wow that's a being old i didn't see an image of that one um online but that's a that's a combination of a lot of different techniques and gestures yeah it was like what is this going on i was like this is some like someone drank the rauschenberg water but then drank the um (sighs) oh F-111. Rosenquist. Drink some of that water, you know, and then just went, stuff. I'm like, okay, this is not the worst thing. It's a presage to, like, Gober in a lot of ways, but not as poetic. It's more, like, punchline-y. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the, because, like, the attention to details, like, to have, like, gold fiber in the yellow, like, legal pad, like, in the underneath the texture i was like huh on the surface of the paint i was like that's that's some genius shit right there yeah i am uh, so lazy uh, i am not that smart to pay attention to that detail god damn i can't remember if it was in an after show or just in an unrecorded conversation i think it was unrecorded but uh i was recommending to you to go see this show based on roberta's review of alex hayes show in the times and you were saying that oh i don't know like it it seems like that wouldn't be that interesting to look at. And I was like, I don't know. I read the thing and it seems like his techniques are kind of interesting. Like, I bet you would like it. And it's also right up your alley in terms of its punchy sort of one-linery <laughs> Mitch Hedberg painting quality. Um, but yeah, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to hear that you found that it was because you can't tell from photos that that's true. I just suspected no. that that was true. Yeah, it was one of those, it does look like a thing that you're like, Excuse me. I saw saw the pictures. I get it. And then you're like pleasantly surprised by the reality of going to the thing. I'm like, oh, the schlep was worth it. Because so many times I'm like, wow, the schlep was not worth it. Um, but, the, you know, pleasantly surprised that it actually was. I was like, oh, wow. What a treat. Like, because I would have forgotten to go. Let's be real. Un- unless I was prodded. Like, hey, did you, did you go see this thing? I'm like... Oh, yeah. It's up for, like, months, right? No, it opened, like, six months ago. It's closing now. I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta go. Yeah, yeah. Um, But absolute treat. I don't have, like... It's not a kind of thing that I th- have thinking thoughts about. But they're just, like, little wonderment moments where you're like, huh! And you get to, like, be present with a very odd thing in the world. Yes. Which that's its own thought process, but like the things themselves, I'm like, hmm. they they trigger that kind of abstract thinking. But um, yeah, because you know, Alex the, Alex Hay does all these paintings of more or less quotidian things, like a receipt or a legal pad or a label or, like you said, a toaster. Uh, th- so many stencils, stencils I, on stencils on stencils. I don't think they have a lot of meaning outside of the phenomenology of like being in front of them. They're experiential things. They are not 
uh, meant to leave you with like a lasting narrative to ponder, really. No. But in that in that kind of way, they're almost these like abaxi kind of like same residual feelings, like where like you're see, like you feel yourself seeing and you know and yeah, noticing, sure. which is a very strange thing to do of like, you know, a, a diner check, you know. Right. Well, I think they're really about the uncanny, like as in uncanny valley in CGI, right? Like where yeah. and they just do this through scale manipulation and material quality, rather than through. Uh, you know like photorealism or something and you think you you you're like in honey i shrunk the kids you're like am i small am i a little thing now what is going on yeah like it's that little like spatial twist of what is what is happening um but like there were some drawings that like show like so they were like crinkle crinkle paper paintings but it's like it's a drawing a scale drawing of how to like uh uh, score the back so that way it does it like down to the measurement so that way it looks natural right right and it's crazy i'm like oh you can plan the uncanny yeah in, right in right. fact it like, seems yes, like it would take a lot of a lot of planning to do that i was thinking about that with uh there's one of a luggage tag um that involves or it looks like it involves multiple techniques like you were describing with the toaster piece where there's like a piece of rope that subs yeah. for what would normally be a piece of string and there's some kind of like attachment that um, subs for like the metal ring that would be in the tag, et cetera, et cetera. It's like a well, th- those are like paper rings. Those were old school like price tags. Which yeah. Now right. the closest corollary is a a luggage tag, but yeah, it was like a a gummed gummed ring. Right. In that thing, but then on a big scale, you're like, oh, that's linen. Yes. Like. But from far away, you're like, mm, that's the thing. That's the gum stuff. But why am I so little? This, you know. Well, what was interesting to me and related to the planning thing that you mentioned was that I was thinking about the rope that he ended up using for the string. And in a photo, I was like, wow, well, he got the scale of that exactly right. Like, I wonder how much measuring of string he had to do and then how many different pieces of rope he had to go through before he finally got the one that was the precise diameter that would translate at the correct scale. You know? And we I think we really take for granted with like digital calculators and aspect ratio calculators and things like that how easy it is now to scale things up and down. And I'm not talking there are about aspect ratio calculators? What? Yeah, I have one on my phone. I used it a lot in the studio. Um What? Yeah. But there's all sorts of calculators. Why are for why stuff am I like hold this. on hold 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 derailing? Why did you not tell me about this? This would be so much easier to do math. I didn't think it was a thing I needed to tell you about because I've had it for like 10 years. The amount of stupid math I've done scribbled on walls to figure out how to scale up a stupid little drawing beyond. Yeah. And it's always wrong because I don't know how to do it. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Fuck. Okay, continue. Uh, I forget where I was. Well, I was I was just saying that we take for granted we take for granted that that we can automate those type of things now so easily, and I don't mean just digitally. Like in Photoshop, it's obviously easy to resize something, but I mean physically because you can use one of these calculators to accomplish the same thing. But in 1968 or whatever, you would have had to be pretty, um, pretty decent at amateur geometry to figure that out and then scale it up to something three dimensional like a rope. That's not as easy of a task as it sounds. And then it also has to have things 
outside of the mathematics of it, like the material quality of the rope has to translate at scale to feel like string. Right. Yeah. So it has to be uh, intertwined. And or... it can't look like laundry line. Rope. No, it has to be braided in a certain way so that from six feet away, it translates the same way that from six inches away, a string would. Yeah. Um, all that kind of stuff is, is very interesting, but that just, it's all material exploration, which I, th- I think accounts for why it feels like abstract expressionism. It's like a really precise version of material exploration rather than a really loose one. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the, like, um, uh, the like lunch bags, the brown paper bags, I was like, huh, this, cause you notice the serration on the edge. You're like, that's the right scale. You know, like it just feels right at that thing when it could have been an afterthought. Right. And even like the little like stamp of the brand or whatever of like, uh, I can tell you right now what it was. No, I can't. It's got like a tree stamp on it for like, you know, recycled whatever things like it has to be right. But also that ink has to look like it was printed on paper bag and not whatever the paper, the big paper bag actually is. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it seems like a lot of practice runs. Like, it's like, oh, we got to test, 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 test. This is the one, you know? Right. Like, it, it reminds me of Robert Ryman a little bit because in the same sense that he decided to just take um, support and surface and the color white and get as much variation as he could out of that by essentially, like, making tests into paintings. Like, that's yeah. R- Robert Ryman's whole thing. Um this is that w- with the additional element of an image rather than relying entirely on the objectness. You're insu- inserting some amount of illusion. Yeah. With an eye. I mean, the, the like, um, the diner placemat, which is like an octo- octagon, uh, like stretched octagon with the red bands. Like, that one, when... Because you start to, like, once you start to notice the fun little things, then you start to get into, like, how is this done? Like, it's clearly, like, taped off and then painted. But then it's, like, um, to get the finish of a mass-printed thing, like, it's the kind of thing where you paint it and then you wipe it off and then paint it and wipe wipe it off again. So it slowly builds up that, like, filmy glow of looking like it was, you know, quickly machine pressed on there you know well not only that it's probably supposed to allude to the fact that it's a semi-transparent material the original place yeah like it's like a liquid cheap ink yeah Yeah. which is wild you're like oh huh It's, it's like it's not difficult to parse up but then it just starts to beg that question of like why would why 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 this why this thing and then you start you know in concert with other things you're like oh okay um it it just becomes about that act of noticing noticing and feeling yeah again um and you're like am i at a rothko show what the fuck's happening i'm not crying let's put I'm, I'm having the same kind of like interaction with the thing yeah it, it, it it's an interesting question for me like what you said before where you're like oh there was like jokey painting back then and you sort of start to realize, I think, especially as you get older, that there was always that guy, you know? Like, even in the 19th century, that probably existed. Like, There are jokes in Manet, like, you know. I was just going to say Manet. You know? He was sort of, like, 
clever. You know, oh, Olympia is a prostitute. Like, that's basically a one-liner joke in the form of a grander uh, genre. Yeah. Uh, that's a quick one, you know. That's yeah. a quickie joke. You know, you're just like, okay. You're or like, like, oh, the no, stab. I had nothing else to say but that. And you're like, yeah. okay. The stab in Jesus's uh, ribs is on the wrong side. Or the guitar player is right-handed, but he's playing a left-hand string guitar. Like, inserting little things like that. You start to realize that those people have always existed. And that work like that uh, only resonates at certain times, though. Like, maybe Alex Hay just wasn't wasn't of his moment in a certain way. Like, people were hungry for something else at that turning point in the late 60s. And his work got looked at as more superficial than it actually is. Or maybe it is superficial and that's why it resonates now. You know? But I'm wondering, I, I mean, it kind of makes me think, like, maybe why did, why was there not a, a paying attention to it in the 90s and the, like, the Sean Landers moment of it all? Yeah, like, but that was the, so like, much loser more... loser things. Yeah, but that was so much more bogged down in narrative. Narrativizing about a the, little bit, yeah. the artist as subject, right? Like... Yeah. Um, whereas Alex... There's a performance aspect to it. Sure. Alex Hay is kind of invisible in his work, and I think that's very intentional. I don't think the author matters too much. Uh, I think from technique to selection of images to the ultimate presentation, like that is not to, not meant to put you in the position of any particular person or story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's meant to put you in an American story of a certain moment, but that's about as specific as it gets. Yeah, it is like blue-collar Americana. I wouldn't even say blue-collar, because picking something like a legal pad or picking something like a receipt or a, or a diner placemat, like, that was just universal. Like, I don't think... I don't think at that time it was meant to signify anything even class-wise. Really? Yeah, definitely mm. not. I, I mm. Because I don't think that Americans in in... In the era between like 1945 and say like 1970, I don't think they identified as strongly along class lines anyway. There wasn't as much inequality to make that a problem. Everybody fought in World War II, you know? Oh, it was like everything is middle class. Yeah. Hmm. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, hmm. Uh, I'll I'll seed the point. Yeah. Yeah. We but, mentioned it on another program, but there's that famous Andy Warhol quote where he says like, you and the queen both drink Coca-Cola. Yeah. We don't think in those terms anymore because that's not that's not true anymore. I mean it also, may be she shouldn't have that much sugar. She's old. <laughs> she old. Um but it may be true of Coke specifically, but like it, overall, people drink different beverages from each other now, whether you're a whole food shopper or uh you know, a price mark shopper, it does actually signify two different things now. Whereas that didn't exist then. Uh you think that levels well you you think that like the let's just say, let's just use the earlier thing of the fourteen dollar food consumption thing isn't the same across you know no I definitely don't think I definitely don't think the the gulf uh of that spectrum was as wide in nineteen sixty eight okay. as it is today not even close hmm. there was always aristocrats and wasps that were doing something at a whole nother level. Right, but they were a much smaller portion of society that was like um not as present in everybody's minds, and I think for everybody in between, like no i i I don't think that golf was as wide. 
I think a lot of people in 1968 bought a, you know, a $1.50 lunch or whatever it cost at the time. And that would be expensive. Maybe. I don't, I don't think so. Not in 1968, but. Oh, uh, oh no, not in the 60s. No. Okay. I mean, yeah, think about it. Like we, we, you know, we hear stories of a very wealthy collector who goes, oh yeah, that nice handmade ketchup is really lovely. Go get the Heinz. You know, like it's, it's that kind of like, you know, you could have limitless funds and still be like, I want, I want the 57 in my hand. Thank you so much. Like, but that also, I mean, I I'm think not, is just I'm like not an saying, old thing. Like, I, I think I you're know. misunderstanding me a little bit in that. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. I just don't think that the golf is as wide. I, I don't think the most expensive thing you can buy in 1968 was uh, nearly as expensive as the most expensive thing you could buy today in terms of ketchup. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. You know yes, what I'm no, saying? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No. Yes. I mean, fair. Um because if you think about like, oh yeah, hmm. like that was not the time where you would have three hundred dollar prefix meals at per se. No, like the most thing you would go to, um, you would go to a country Lucerne or something like that, and it'd be fifty bucks. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I got, uh, hmm. but that uh, hmm. makes me a little sad. It makes me a lot sad and a little frustrated with the world, but because um, as someone who wants to have the three hundred dollar tasting course, you know, um, it's that's still achievable via like, you know, a treat yourself from someone middle class. You're like, mm, I saved up and this is my treat myself, but it's not going to be a regular occurrence. No, which was always the case. So, yeah. I don't know. I thought I had a point. I don't know if I have one. I kind of gave up on the point. <laughs> I was I was ch- I was chasing it and I was like, "Ah, oh, I see it and I it's gone now." It's a, I'm literally melting. Well, to so bring my it, brain is not working great. Yeah, to bring it back a little bit. I mean, all I was speculating on in the first place was that maybe Alex Hayes' work um was sort of passed over in its day. Eh, it seems like what I could gather is that there was, you know, there's an exhibition history. But it's like, you know, it's not that kind of, like, we'll call them, like, little thinkers instead of little stinkers work, you know? Like, it is this kind of, like, little moment where you're like, all right. Like, because there are other things out in the world that are more contemporary that are like, oh, it's like a, it's like um, a uh, guitar amp, but it's actually a stretch painting, you know, like. Or, like, people do, like, weird object work like that. But it's, like, it's novelty. It doesn't necessarily have, like, something people... It's uncollectible. Because it is it is so designed around being exhibited and feeling this, the big space of it all that it's, like, it's not necessarily going to be a, a, a more um, glamorous collector, collector's item, you know? Sure, but what I think That is- can sustain a, you know career right maybe it can't sustain a career but what becomes fascinating about it after many decades is that it inadvertently becomes a time capsule things that seemed universal and quotidian eventually date themselves and become a snapshot of a time we don't have access to like we just did a little like impromptu sort of like class analysis through ephemera of 
the late 1960s. Yeah. Suddenly the work has that kind of life 50 years on that it doesn't have at the moment. And maybe people making work like that today um, will have similar resurrections because it does become fascinating almost from like a natural history perspective at a certain point. You're like looking at a geological layer that doesn't exist anymore. But if someone like made a giant like Zara tag painting, I'd be like, that's tacky. Don't do that. Like, that's not even smart, you know? Well, you know, like, Michelle Maillier is a good example of this. Because he made those, like, Nintendo 64 paintings when that system was brand new. Yeah, those don't hold up. Uh, but suddenly... I don't like those. That's fine. But then, you know, 15 you years after like he made them, them, everyone... Yeah. But, but suddenly now people do like them, and they do resonate slightly differently. Like, it would have been the equivalent of making, like, a PS5 painting right now which i don't think anybody could pull off and people would think it was legitimate except for maybe jamian or something like there I, are people see, that could what do what i it, think but... would be lovely would be someone does a stone carving but in that shape in the shape of the ps5 yeah the stand-up one that'd be funny but oh that's but it's like a huh good cool like the only value it has is like oh you carved that what, what you're fucking insane you know like you carve that for a joke. Right. Well, I mean, this is your this is your art practice in some ways, you know. But you just do it with a slightly more nostalgic lens, like through the design of other times and make jokes yeah. out of it. Um But Yeah, because things now are uh, terrible things. Yeah, but per- perhaps, you know, that's the bolder move is to use the ugly design of the age that you're in and just accept it. I'm not saying that as a prescription. I, I don't for think you. I want I to. I just think that there's artists that do do that. Yeah, no, it it exists. Like when you, like even like um, uh, Brad Tromo's like, uh, Instagram decks that turn into like infographics about Syria, and then they turn into like, get a Casper mattress. Yeah, like that's like, the most interesting use of the current fetish for anonymous bland pop design totally and i mean he's a he's a really smart artist in the sense that he's not afraid of the disposability of making instagram posts into art and having that yeah like be lost when inevitably instagram's not a social media platform anymore right yeah um, he's also smart in the sense that like he does insert like a politics and a narrative to it that gives it an extra little bit of life it becomes more than just a quotidian one-liner it's making a point through the design aesthetics of its time. I think Gober was similar, yeah. uh, a lot more profound. Is, he's not dead. Is, is. Um, but but really, let's be honest, was. I don't think Gober's new work is all that good. That, that I mean, not, he just makes the same things that he already yeah, been done did. That so, 9-11 you know. piece was kind of the last time he really hit, hit it out of the park. Um, the one with the, uh, the concrete bags? Yeah, and then like Jesus on the cross and the two mirrored uh, the bathrooms doors. with the doors, yeah. Yeah, the cri- the par- parallelogram cribs are bad. Yeah, I mean he's gotten manneristic within his own style. I mean it's he's just an older guy. It's fine. I don't like hold that against him. But my only point was that I I think that uh, what makes artists sometimes truly transcendent and and extra interesting is when they can use the quotidian aesthetics of their time and some interesting technical trickery in combination with like a really cohesive political philosophy um 
that then can be more universally resonant. It can also represent its time, but not merely do that. It can extend out from that period and tell you, like, this is what it was like to be alive. Yeah. You know, whether that's living through AIDS or living through Instagram. They're equally as viral. Hey. (laughs) Um, Yeah. All right. I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I need to uh, step into the cool, cool waters of the other room for like two seconds because otherwise I am literally going to slide off of this chair and it's made out of fabric. So. Okay. um, Bye-bye.